Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the CX Cast. This is your host, Jenny Wise, and I am joined today from our remote home offices, working stations by principal analyst on the customer experience team here at Forrester, Gina Bowalker. Hi, Gina. Hi, Jenny. Great you could join. Today, we're going to talk about some research that you've been working on, which will be out in about a month or so. But it's about the business impact of experience design. And I know that this research is much anticipated by a lot of the designers out there and people on customer experience teams too, who are really trying to prove the value of the work that they're doing and their contributions to the organization. So the question that we're going to answer on today's episode is, what steps can companies take to measure the business impact of experience design? And Gina, to start, I want to hear from you sort of who this is geared towards, right? I know that this question comes in from many different types of organizations. Is this research aimed at everyone? Is it speaking to a certain level of you know, maturity within the experience design practice? Yeah. So the short answer to the question, Jenny, is that this is really geared towards all design leaders and design professionals. We have seen time and time again that design professionals struggle when it comes to measuring and communicating their impact. And even the organizations who are doing that to some extent, maybe have a couple of case studies under their belt of when design was engaged in a project, the positive you know, business outcome that came from that. Even those teams are still trying to refine and introduce more rigor into how they're approaching this. So this report is for everyone from the design leader who is in a state of, I like to say, kind of metrics phobia. Um, and trying to figure out how to start measuring their impact, all the way through to the design leader who thinks they have it figured out, but wants to make sure that they're following all of the best practices to ensure their efforts are successful and want to perhaps learn from how other design leaders are approaching successful design measurement. Great. And I love the metric phobia. I definitely want to <laughs> do a deep dive into what we think that is and means and what's causing it. But before we do, as you just mentioned, measuring the impact is important for all organizations, right? Whether you've been doing it, are just starting an organization, are mature, are looking for best practices. And so when you think about why it's so important... I mean, I think it seems apparent, right? Like this has to be done. We often talk to experienced design teams about how they need to evangelize the practice to scale, to elevate it, to gain more support. And so this seems like a really critical component of being able to do that. Is that what you're seeing too? Or are there sort of really key drivers as to why companies need to do this now? Yeah, so a couple of points there. It, it certainly is critical. And one of the points that we make in the research is it's not enough to point your executives to studies from Forrester and McKinsey and Envision, you know, all these companies, we've all published studies that talk about the business impact of design work. It's equally important, though, to actually prove out these benefits in your organization. And the reason why that's important is really six different reasons that we identified. Quantifying those benefits will help your team advance your work in terms of, number one, getting UX improvements prioritized. 
if you can demonstrate the positive outcomes of, you know, improving the checkout experience or any other number of kind of digital user experience challenges, it helps the organization understand why UX issues should be prioritized in the same way that any other kind of defect or, or bug should be prioritized. So that's the first yeah. one. The second you hit on, Jenny, which is it's about elevating your team's impact and reach. So when a design leader can prove that the team has had a substantial impact on improving kind of surface level challenges, which we think of as, you know, improving how a product looks and feels, does that lead to better outcomes? When you can show that you've added significant value at that level, it starts to open up the door for conversations around well, how else can you help us? Can you help us with, you know, our efforts around identifying that, you know, kind of next innovation that's going to help our customers or, you know, help us identify the unmet needs that we should be focusing on that we're not, you know, addressing today. So it's all about elevating your impact and reach. The third is around keeping your design team aligned with its purpose. This is something that when I interviewed companies like Oracle at Atlassian, they really stressed. They want to make sure that the design team is actually delivering on its customer-centric purpose and the promise that it makes to help customers. So it's almost like measuring your impact helps hold you and your team accountable and know that you're doing your job effectively. thought that one was really interesting. Mm-hmm. And then the last three are you know, reducing your dependence on executive champions who might leave. Often, you know, the design team has uh, someone at the executive level who gets design, who's helping kind of clear that way for design to add value, but people leave. Change is a constant. (laughs) And so design leaders need to set themselves up. If that executive champion goes away, they need to be prepared to step in and educate their other executives on, you know, why they should continue to invest in the practice around design. And then also there's practical matters, like just getting funding to grow the practice. Most design leaders we talk to want to grow their teams. They want to invest in design systems. You know, they've got this list of of areas they want to evolve. And you have to prove the value that design has brought in order to get the case and get that additional funding to grow your practice. And then the last one I'll mention is justifying the value of a full stack design team. This came through really clearly when I was interviewing Jamie Myrold, who leads design for Adobe, and she talked about how, you know, executives need to understand that you can't just put one designer on a project and, you know, have that constitute a strong user-centered design approach. Design requires many different disciplines. It requires that full stack team of designers, researchers, content strategists. And if you can demonstrate the impact that a full stack team has on a project, then people aren't going to question when you show up with, you know, a handful of designers to a project versus one kind of, you know, generalist unicorn that we know doesn't necessarily Mm -hmm. exist. (laughs) Right. Right. So that covers a lot of ground in the benefits, right? So this is helping to elevate what the design team does and can do, getting budget to be able to get the skills on board that you need, the tools that you need on board and be able to scale. And Gina, I thought that one was really interesting that you sort of paused on too, is reducing its dependence on that executive champion, right? And we're working right now on some research around how, you know, companies start and establish a design team. And one of the first steps is to find those internal executive champions. But it's true that you can't become too reliant on them 
because things do constantly change. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, you know, that's why that that idea of, you know, constantly educating the organization on design by engaging them in the design process is so important and making sure to focus on that, you know, really from a cross-functional perspective, not just with the individuals who are already comfortable and already excited about design. Mm-hmm. Right. So if it is so clear right, that this, this has to be done and should be done to benefit everyone, the organization, the designers, uh, you know, then the question becomes, why isn't it happening? And I mean, part of it is probably that metric phobia that you mentioned earlier. Do you want, want to explain a little bit more about what that means here? Absolutely. So, you know, there's there's a few reasons why I think designers and design leaders hold back in this area. One, and this speaks to the metric phobia idea, is designers in general, you know, we, we come from art backgrounds, you know, creative backgrounds. There's not that comfort level with metric that we see with some other disciplines like marketing and product managers, for example. So, Designers haven't necessarily kind of grown up with this being part of their process. And that leads to one of the other causes here, which is measurement is just not baked into the design process. We found in a recent survey that we conducted here at Forrester that only 17% of design teams are actively measuring the impact that design has on projects. That is really low. And it tells us it's not kind of codified into the user-centered design process that these companies are employing. And so that's another key area. Another is just kind of lack of fluency in the language of business in general. One of the leaders that I interviewed, Heidi Monk at Nationwide, you know, told me that designers often feel like the odd person out at the MBA table. They're not comfortable talking in this language that their business peers are. And so sometimes that holds them back and, you know, kind of causes them to not really know how to engage effectively and certainly not how to tie their work to impacts on things like revenue and cost savings for the business. And then one more that I, I want to point out that I thought was really interesting. Many of the design leaders I talked to kind of warned of, you know, this danger of tying design's worth to metrics. So there's kind of this belief that if we get too focused on metrics, that it will crush creativity. Or even worse, that designers might become so obsessed with trying to hit a particular target that a project has that they start to kind of lose sight of what design is kind of promising in the first place, which is like remaining focused on the customer and what the customer needs. And so there's certainly this fear that we could swing too far in the direction of just focusing on moving metrics and not, you know, on actually improving user experience. So all of these are, you know, some of the barriers that we found through the research are holding designers back and that need to be, I think, overcome in order to achieve design's full potential. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the ones that I, I don't get stuck on, but I think is really important to spend some time on here is like, how can they measure it, right? So there's this belief that metrics will crush creativity, which I think kind of makes sense, right? Um, and we see this happen often with products too, if you're basing it on, you know, how many weeks until we launch something or did the clicks go up or down, whereas design is working on a larger scale picture than that, it will crush the creativity. But then also, even for, you know, the designers who, you know, are MBA savvy, right, and are numbers based as well, 
if you think about the model that you'll create to show the impact of design, it is not a simple model, right? Design is true. one input. Uh, you need to convince other people to enact the change that you suggested, right? It's not necessarily as clear cut. Is that something that came up too, or something that you see these companies trying to wrangle and manage? Yeah, it certainly came up. But what I'm finding is that the design leaders who are getting this right, and many of whom we mention in the research, they acknowledge that, that it's hard to attribute specifically, this is how design helps lead to the positive outcome. They recognize that, but they don't let it hold them back. Mm -hmm. One really interesting observation from the research was I interviewed Stephen Cohen, who was the former CEO of Validately. And he suggested that design leaders should be taking some lessons from their marketing colleagues here. For years, marketing has developed attribution models to understand the impact that particular ads or particular assets have on driving positive behaviors as part of a campaign. And these marketers recognize that those models aren't perfect. You're never going to be able to say exactly what impact a particular asset had on a positive outcome. But it's okay because they, they're comfortable stating with a high probability that a particular experience drove the intended behavior. And he suggested that designers should think about measuring impact in a similar way. You can't tie it exactly to you know, the design resources that were involved in that project. But you can say, look, you know, we have other projects where design has not been engaged or embedded as deeply, and they weren't able to achieve the same positive outcome. So when you engage design, it leads to better outcomes. So the idea here, again, is it doesn't have to be perfect. And the idea really is to start somewhere. Mm -hmm. Begin embedding this idea of articulating communicate impact into how you work. And right. the way that we summarize how to do that in the research is by laying out five best practices of design measurement that design teams should start adopting immediately. Mm -hmm. Good. And I think that's important. And also, that was a, a great answer there, right? Because when we think about how hard this can be, that doesn't mean it cannot and does not have to be done though, right? So there has to be some approach and some type of attribution model put in place to show this value of design. So you mentioned that there are some steps to take. Can you walk us through what they are? Yes. So five practices in particular define great design measurements. So we can walk through those. Great. The first one is about obsessing about understanding your stakeholders. As design professionals, we're very adept at applying research to understanding customers better. This best practice is take those same methods and apply them to understanding your stakeholders too. One of the people we interviewed for this research was design leader Ryan Rumsey. And he talked about how once you're a design leader, you should be spending at least 20% of your time studying your business stakeholders. So what does that mean? That means asking more questions, immersing yourself in what matters to the business, you know, for your key stakeholders. What are the key objectives they're trying to drive this year? What does success look like from their standpoint? This also involves developing fluency in the language of business so that as designers, you're not just getting invited to the table. We always talk about that, getting invited to the table, but you can actually engage in conversations <laughs> once you've got that seat at the table. 
And then practically speaking, this is about remixing your craft. So applying tools that we've been using as UX professionals for years, things like empathy mapping, jobs to be done framework, apply those tools to understanding your business stakeholders at a deeper level. So that's the first best practice. It's all about immersing yourself in what's important to business stakeholders. I love how you draw this back into like, hey, this is what designers are doing already. (laughs) I was thinking that in my mind, like you should do a jobs to be done framework, right? What are they trying to achieve? What motivates them even at a personal human level, right? For success in your job and how can you tap into that and help support it? So that's great. That one's easy. Everyone can do that one here. Yeah, everyone knows how to do this. It's just about applying those methods that you typically use to understand customers, applying those internally as well. Now, once you've done that, the second best practice is to focus on goals first, not metrics. What we mean by that, it's very easy to get obsessed with wanting to move a metric. We see this happen a lot in the customer experience world with metrics like MPS, where you know, the company is so obsessed with improving their NPS score that they forget that they also need to identify and improve on the key drivers of customer experience that will actually impact that score in a positive way. So the advice here to designers is to start by identifying the goal. Do that by asking questions of your business stakeholders for any effort you're engaged in. That question is, what are we trying to achieve here? Are we trying to improve a specific experience? Are we trying to increase speed to market? Are we trying to help the organization save money? Something that might be very important right now as we're going through this crisis, that's a very common goal. Or are we trying to help the organization change how people work by you know, collaborating across silos, for example? So identify that goal. Then you can start to define the specific metrics that will help you gauge if you've achieved that goal couple interesting examples of that from the research. I interviewed the design leader at BBVA Mexico, where they have very clearly defined customer experience principles that are important to their executives. And so the design team establish metrics at the product level that ladder up to those principles. For example, they use the system usability scale to understand if they're delivering on their CX principle around making banking easy to use. Another example from the research was Fannie Mae. They had a very different goal. Their design team wanted to educate partners about how to bring design thinking into their organizations. And so they created a survey that they field to stakeholders after design engages with them on a project where they ask questions like, did design help add to the culture of innovation at the company? Did design help you achieve your business outcomes? and a series of other questions that essentially help them measure from by collecting perception metrics if design is delivering on the promise of you know improving collaboration within the company. So that's the second best practice. The third best practice is to know what makes a good metric. We have a framework that we're introducing in this report called the MET test, M-E-T, and it defines what makes a good metric. Good metrics are, number one, meaningful, meaning that it's not just something the design team cares about. It's actually important to the business. Rachel Kobitz at Bank of America is one of the leaders I interviewed for this report, and she used the metric of delight as an example. 
sometimes design teams are like, we want to measure for delighting customers, but the executives of the company don't actually care about delight. They care about making money or saving money. So the metric has to be meaningful, not just to the design team. The second is easy to understand. This is about, as one of my interviewees said, avoiding fancy metrics in favor of easy to understand ones like task success. Make sure that you can clearly explain the thing you're measuring. More customers are completing their goal now than before the design improvement was made. That's a good example of an easy to understand metric. And three, this is the T in MET, metrics must, must be tethered to business outcomes because executives will ultimately ignore you if you can't connect the things you're measuring to business metrics or operational metrics that are important to the organization. So again, the MET test, meaningful, easy to understand, and tethered to business outcome is the third best practice. So that was really helpful advice on how to define the metric. Because, you know, as I mentioned earlier, it can seem like something that's very difficult for designers because there are so many factors at play. And if you're asking a designer to map directly to ROI, right, that might not be possible or seem possible. So really focusing on what is the objective of the project you're working on and what metrics make sense to measure for that and metrics that you can easily then communicate out is really important. So then once these are defined, what is the fourth step? Yeah, and then the fourth best practice is don't go at it alone. And what we're saying there is learn from other disciplines who aren't metric phobic, who have been doing this for a long time. A great place to start is with your CX team. We found in a recent survey that 71% of CX teams run measurement programs. So, you know, they probably have a lot of lessons and tips that they can share with you. And then obviously forming partnerships with peers in data science and finance is incredibly important here so that once you've identified what those goals are that design is helping to achieve and the associated metrics, that you can actually get access to the data that you need to do the math and be able to articulate those results. And then the final best practice, and I think this was probably my favorite one that emerged from the research, is use your design superpowers to bring the numbers to life. This is where you can really apply your design chops to go beyond traditional approaches to reporting results like dashboards with a bunch of numbers on them to actually tell those impact stories in a powerful way. Two ways to do this is number one, use storytelling to communicate results. So for example, weave together those hard numbers, you know, the impacts that you had on revenue for the business with the impact it had on customers. I interview companies like Waters and Bank of America who will use video highlight reels from usability studies to help amplify these conversations around impact. Another company I talked to, Philips Healthcare, they will illustrate the end result had on customers by not just showing here's the particular outcomes, but showing the human-centered design process that led to those outcomes. For example, showing the hand-drawn sketches that you know helped them kind of conceive the early idea that led to that end product. Another approach to using your design superpowers to bring the numbers to life is to actually create immersive experiences that people can go through. One example of this is Nationwide Insurance. They created a member experience room where they highlight different projects happening across the company that are solving customer 
pain points. They had those projects kind of highlighted as plaques on the wall in this room. And then once the project completes and that successful outcome has been measured and articulated, they actually add this to the wall. So it's a way to kind of showcase these successes and people can kind of walk in the room and observe these and understand what's going on. They also do really cool things like they have spinning mobiles that hang from the ceiling that have, you know, financial terms on them that they use within their experiences that essentially make their customers' heads spin. And they have these mobiles actually spinning so people can walk through this room and kind of empathize with the customer, feel what they feel when they run into these confusing experiences. And it's all a way of just helping to highlight the importance of design, but also celebrate some of those accomplishments and successes. So those are the five best practices. Again, number one, obsess about understanding your stakeholders. Number two, focus on goals first, not metrics. Number three, know what makes a good metric in the first place. Number four, don't go at it alone. Partner with key teams in the organization. And number five, use your design superpowers to really bring the numbers to life. Great. Those are such good steps. And I especially like them because I think they address some of the concerns that designers and organizations might have had from the get-go. Exactly. Because this is difficult. You're going to have to create an imperfect model, but you will have to create one, right? Yes. So that's okay. But I also think is important about these steps is it isn't just like, hey, let's create a quantitative ROI model. That might right. not be feasible. That might not align with the goal of what you're doing. A lot of goals for design work are longer term right? Yeah. Or don't directly map to revenue as explicitly or in a short-term way that can be measured. So it's important to understand the objective of the work that you're doing and measure against that. Absolutely. And it's so interesting that you mention it that way, Jenny, because when we went into this research, we actually were intending originally to build an ROI model that someone could use and plug in their data and essentially, you know, bit out, you know, this is the impact that design had on a particular project. But as we started interviewing design leaders, the things that they were saying were critical to their success. It wasn't about having a model in which to plug in numbers and help do the math to get to that result. It was all of these important practices that surround that, that are the really critical pieces that you have to nail in order to be successful. So that really led us to these five best practices that are going to guide you to successful design measurement. Right. And that's taking a cue from Alan Cooper's blog post, which we'll include yeah. a link in the show notes too, <laughs> from 2018, where it said, what's the ROI of UX is the most idiotic question ever asked which this doesn't entirely agree with, but it does acknowledge that it can be difficult to just do an ROI model. And in some instances, that is is missing the point or not creating the full picture. Exactly. And, and you know, I mean, I think it's clear through this research that we don't agree with our Alan Cooper's stance. However, one thing I will say, and we mentioned this in the report, is you do need to recognize that the expectations that you have of the design leaders in your organization versus the design practitioners should be different. So at the practitioner level, the individual, you know, UX designer working on a project, it's certainly important for them to be able to articulate their impact. But you can't expect that they are going to be able to articulate their impact in terms of revenue, for example. 
they should be able to talk about how they improve things like task success or you know overall ease of use of the experience. Now, when you get to the point where you're a design leader, that's where you need to be living at this higher level where you're actually tying the value of design's work to business outcomes. And so it's important to also set expectations appropriately based on the level of the individual in the organization. Right. Great point. And so with that, we could keep talking. And in fact, listeners, we will keep talking. So stay tuned. Uh, next week's episode of the CX Cast, we'll talk about the process of how to begin to build out this measurement process for design. Gina, thank you so much for sharing these best practices on how you can and should measure experience design impact. And listeners, there is some upcoming research that I mentioned at the start that will be published in the next month or so, and we will update the notes with a link to that report once it is live. So keep an eye out for that. And thank you for listening. Talk to you next week.